Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Let me hear somebody say, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Is he good to anybody else besides me? Happy night before Thanksgiving. I'm going to say that one more time. Happy night before Thanksgiving. How many of y'all ready for turkey? Dressing. Yes. Peas and beans out of the garden. Yes. I, I hope my favorite mother-in-law has some of that peas and beans out of the garden. She said yes. Her head is nodding. Yes. I'm a happy guy. Hallelujah. Y'all, the Lord is so good to us, is he not? In the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verse 36, I'd like to just read this as we kick off our service tonight. This is in the, the passage where Jesus fed 4,000 men plus women and children. Jesus looked out across this multitude and his heart was stirred because he said, they've been with me for three days. Boy, we can't even get people to go to church for three hours nowadays in America, right? Go ahead. That's in air conditioned, heat, running water, utilities, all this stuff. Say, are you saying cushion seating, Charles? Foam? Yes. And these folks are out in the wilderness with Jesus, and they're hungry. Jesus' heart was stirred because these people had been with him for three days. And he said, what do we have to feed them? And the disciples said, all we've got is seven loaves and a few fish. Now, I want to remind you of seven loaves in that context is probably more like what we would call a biscuit or a hamburger roll <coughs> and a few fish. But look what the scripture says. I thought about this today. I was in my office and I was just going through some scriptures on giving thanks and being thankful. Could you imagine the main, mainline media today if Jesus took that little boy's dinner, his lunch, could you imagine what Fox News would say? Preacher takes little boy's food. <laughs> the scripture says, and he took the seven loaves and the fish. And listen to what it says, and gave thanks. And that's what I ponder today. Are we looking at what we don't have? Are we looking at the potential inside of what we do have? Because sometimes we look at what we're facing in life and we look what we have to, to come against those things or to overcome those things. And sometimes what we have seems so small and lacking as opposed to the mountain of things that we may be facing. But Jesus blessed it. Listen to what he says. Then he broke it and he gave it. And his disciples went and dispersed it. And they fed those 4,000 men plus women and children and they had seven basketfuls left over in this story. And I pray tonight, you know what, as we come into the Lord's house and we've come in here to worship him and to praise him, tomorrow is on the calendar as Thanksgiving Day, but I wonder if I got anybody in the room tonight that your heart is thankful for what God is saying and doing in and through your life. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Father, we bless the name of Jesus. He endures forever. And God, we've got so much to be grateful for. Lord, even as I was pondering today, and in fact, I wrote it, God help us if we get too familiar with the gospel and it no longer thrills us as the greatest thing known to man. So tonight, Lord God, out of my heart, and I hope that I can stir everybody else and lead us in the right direction as we go into worship tonight that we are grateful for the cross of Jesus Christ. We are grateful, God, that you loved us, Father, that you loved us so much that you gave your only begotten Son so that whosoever believes in you would not perish but have everlasting life. So, God, we pray tonight that your kingdom would come. We pray that your will would be done. Lord, show yourself strong in our behalf. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Would you put your hands together and just bless the Lord? to give thanks to God for who he is and all he's done. He's been so good. Amen. So, 
soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. You've got a lion inside of those lungs And get up and praise the Lord So come on my soul Oh don't you get shy on me Lift up your song Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs No way. 
couple of announcements. We are selling the nuts this year, Women's Ministries is, so every Wednesday night before service, so we've done that for tonight, and then every Sunday after service until they're gone. Okay, $12 a bag. Got some good ones out there. Good for bacon and good for snacking. Some of you told me you've already been snacking on them. They're delicious, so please take advantage of that. That money is going toward Vision for Education, which is the colleges that the International Pentecostal Holiness Church supports. So we ask that you um, support that. Um, this Sunday is our Youth Investment Sunday. So yes, let's give them a big hand. We're excited and looking forward to them sharing with us in ministry and sharing with us um, so that we can sow into them. Do you love your youth group? Yes. Yes. All right, so it is time to give tonight. Are you excited to give to the Lord? Are you giving with a grateful and a cheerful heart? Yes, we're going to ask our ushers to come forward. Does anybody need a tithing envelope? If you do, if you raise your hand, they can get you one. Real quickly, I think everybody's good. If you'll notice the screens, it will give you ways to give online. We know that a lot of people like to do that these days. So um, if you would like to give online, we do have several ways that you can do that. All right, we're going to ask you to stand as you come to present your offerings to the Lord. And I think we're going to have a CD, some music played. Okay. Thank you for giving tonight.
Guys, how about y'all bring it on in and we'll go ahead and pray over this offering. Father, we thank you today for the generosity of your folks. Oh, Lord God Almighty. And now unto, and now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Mm-hmm. And God, I thank you that that verse that we've been looking at for weeks here on Sunday morning, and I haven't gotten there yet, but it is sandwiched. The verses below and the verses above are about giving. So, Lord, you give us grace when it's time to give, and you honor with grace the gift. So, Lord, you are able to make all grace abound toward us. And I pray tonight, Lord God, that you would honor the seed. Thank you for the sower having the seed. And we pray today for a great harvest. Press down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. That's written in red. It's from you, Lord. That is a promise from you. And we acknowledge that today. You are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. And we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Do me a favor. High five about three people if you would. If you, want, if you don't mind, just high five somebody. Let them know you're glad to see them tonight. Now, I need, to do, I need to do like three quick, quick things I couldn't do when I was up here earlier because we were having some technical difficulty uh, with the live stream, and I know I was going to have to go up there and fix that or help, them, help those guys fix it, so it's all fixed. So we need to give a big shout-out to our, our live stream congregation tonight, our Internet congregation, so y'all go ahead and do that. And there are quite a few people on there. I just checked before I came up here. And that's one of the reasons that we like to have this. Uh, you know, live stream the internet now is referred to as the front door of the church because people will watch you online before they ever come visit. But it's also referred to by Carrie Newhoff as the side door of the church. You ever heard that before? The side door. That is when people can't come to church, their normal church, when they can't be there, they have other things that are pressing, they can watch it online. So it's referred to as a side door. And tonight is a great night because so many folks are traveling. Folks have family already in. Some folks are cooking and, and uh, had to work all day and they're getting home, they're getting stuff ready. Some folk are in Walmart standing in line. They're gonna need to watch this later and get sanctified again. Let me hear somebody say amen. So anyway, that's the side door, so appreciate, uh, uh, let's see who we got, Pastor Michael's back on sound tonight, and I saw Matt come in too back there giving him some great supervision, and uh, Miss Renee, y'all pray for her, she came in with this ugly, nasty up Philadelphia Eagles hoodie on, I don't know where they found that at, and we've got Gabe and Chris are upstairs running the live stream, so we appreciate those folks with their help in ministry tonight, and keeping this, yeah, y'all give them some love. So two more quick things here, two more quick things. Uh, Jordan said he's going to preach about 15 minutes, so I'll introduce him in just a minute, okay? I'm just playing. Somebody asked me tonight. I'm not going to call Gary Provence's name, but he, he, he implied in his question, is he long-winded like his daddy? Y'all pray for Gary, all right? Now, seriously, many, many years, 
Pastor Believes would have me come in. I was tattooed as the Thanksgiving turkey of Northview. And, uh, and I wrote this on Facebook today because I was pondering this in my prayer time this morning that, you know, it was on these Wednesday night services that we would kind of swoop in and scoop in. In fact, I think the last time me and Jordan came with me and what was normally like a two and a half hour trip took us like four because of the traffic. So we kind of swooped in. We had planned on getting here early and going to get something to eat and we swooped in right at church time. But it was on these services, on these Wednesday nights before Thanksgiving that I know two times the Lord definitely gave me a prophetic utterance over Northview. One was that it would be a regional ministry and, and one is that, there were, that Scotland County would not be an economic wasteland. But I remember and I asked Mr. Tim Poole when it was in 2006, we found out that we got word that and we were still in Charleston at the time because we didn't move to Columbia until 2008. But Mr. Larry Poole had tragically lost his life in an accident. So while I was driving up for this service, my heart was heavy for the Poole family because they've always been precious to me. And we came in and we were getting ready to start the service and lo and behold, the door opened and in came the entire Poole family to come to be in the presence of the Lord. And their hearts are grieving, but they worship their way right through that. So I want y'all to know I, that's, that made a mark on me. Literally, y'all, it made a mark in my heart. So thank y'all for being so awesome that way. Y'all are phenomenal people. Y'all give them some love, would you? And one more quick thing, something that we've got to be thankful for. Um, since COVID hit America, a lot of churches just never got back on track. They never got traction. And uh, a lot of churches closed and a lot of pastors just were knocked for a loop. And a lot of churches just have continued, a lot of churches closed and never opened back up again. A lot of churches have just continued to decline and decline. I want to give you something that we can be grateful for at Northview. Are you ready for this? Our 2023 offer us not offering attendance compared to two years ago 2021 we've increased by 44 percent that's post-covid y'all and compared to last year when we started hitting that stride by the grace of god we have increased over last year by 20 percent So I just want to give God thanks for that, for allowing us and blessing us to be a part of a ministry that's thriving, that is thriving. And we thank God for his great goodness. Now, I owe my son Jordan and my beautiful daughter-in-law, Kate, and my precious little grandbaby, Simon, who is in the oven, who is going to be arriving here in January. So somewhere, Mimi and Papa is going to be making some trips to Columbia. All right, uh, I failed a couple of weeks ago when they were here to acknowledge them because I got caught up in the moment of the service. But Jordan, we love you, buddy. And Jordan is a graduate, third generation of Holmes Bible College. Pastor and Mrs. Blees, myself, and Jordan is third generation and God is using them tremendously down in Columbia. They are making an impact in people's lives, working with youth ministry, young adults, and children's church. And now uh, they're overseeing the nursery workers and stuff, but now they're gonna soon be changing baby diapers at home and I'm excited about it. 
Jordan is our youngest son, and uh, he was a surprise because after Josiah came, I was done. I always being an only child, I'm like, I want to have five or six kids. And uh, we had our third, and he was about three wrapped up in one package. So I said, okay, I'm done. And uh, then my wife uh, found out we had a little surprise on the way. And that's our, I call him Mr. Boohead. So I told my wife every three years she got into this nesting thing. She wanted to have a baby. So I told her when we found out Jordan was on the way, I looked at her and I said, three years from now, you're getting a puppy. <laughs> and lo and behold, I've got a picture somewhere of Jordan as a little two-year-old or something like that laying on the, on the bed, uh, laying on the couch, excuse me, with a little beagle puppy snuggled up on his chest. So, uh, Yeah. That's what we did. So, Jordan, we're glad to have you tonight. God is using Jordan. Uh, he's becoming a phenomenal uh, preacher. He's, I've watched him online when he spoke, and he's just breaking down the word. He's very studious, and uh, I'm very proud of him, and I love him. Y'all put your hands together. Welcome Jordan Hodge tonight to come bring the word of the Lord. Don't do anything to embarrass your mother. That's my job. <laughs> I hope everyone is doing well. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Uh, again, I was here last year as well. Um, and I have a lot of notes tonight, so I don't think I'll be too short-winded. So whoever asked that, I apologize. <laughs> I'm sorry. Seems like every time I preach, I add about 10 minutes to it. So uh, I've been preaching often. So uh, I apologize <laughs> for if we're here too long. Uh, but if you go ahead and uh, turn to uh, Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be in uh, verses 6 through 15. And uh, I'm going to be a little bit more teachy than preachy tonight. Um, but I'll probably end up preaching, so you'll just have to forgive me if I, if I do that. But uh, yes, Colossians uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 15, and I'll give you a moment to get there. Say amen when you get there. All right, I'm going to go ahead and start reading here. All right, 6 through 15, chapter 2. For I want you to know, well, I'm going to start in verse 1, just so we get the full context of what's going on here. Verse 1, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and of the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now verse 6, this is getting in what we're going to be studying. Verse 6, therefore as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to christ for in him the whole fullness of, of deity dwells bodily 
And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside and nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to, he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you and we love you so much, Lord. Lord, if we have anything to be thankful for, it's because you have given it to us, Lord, and you have been so gracious and so merciful in our lives, Lord God. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just speak through me, Lord, and that I would just be a mouthpiece for you, Lord, that I would be an oracle for you, Lord God. God, let us not just come here on a Wednesday night before Thanksgiving just because it's tradition and this is just what we do, Lord God, but that we're coming here, Lord, to hear your voice, Lord God. We thank you and we love you. Amen. So we're in Colossians today. And uh, and some background here for uh, Colossians here is, is Paul, uh, Paul taught the gospel daily for two years in Ephesus. And as a result, uh, this is where you get this from Acts. All of the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And one of those residents was a man named Epaphras. And he brought the gospel to Colossae. Uh, Paul had never visited the Colossian uh, congregation, so he didn't have this kind of relationship that he would with Ephesus because he was there for two years. He didn't have that kind of relationship that he had with the Corinthians because he was there for two or three years. Um, So he had not seen them yet uh, face to face, Uh, but he was encouraged to hear of their faith. Paul was in prison at the time of writing this letter, and this was also around the same time that he wrote Ephesians and Philemon. Although Paul was encouraged and thankful for the Colossians, he was greatly concerned about the false teachers and wrong doctrines that were starting to take root uh, within the Colossian church. The false teaching of the Colossae mixed Christian beliefs with ideas and practices from Judaism and other pagan religions. The main theme of the letter is to be in Christ. Paul uses that term in Christ uh, 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 many, many times in the book of Colossians. And uh, something that really just drew me to this is because we see this happening today, guys. We see this happening of uh, really just this mixed religion. I can tell you one thing is that God hates mixture. And what we would call that in the Bible is syncretism is adding something plus Jesus. And let me tell you something, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's just what, this is what Paul is preaching against uh, because he's worried for the Colossian people. He hasn't been there to, uh, to, to do his apostolic ministry, right? This is just a, a thriving church that was planted uh, from a, a fellow Christian, a fellow brother in the faith that heard Paul's uh, preachings and his teachings while he was in uh, Asia Minor in Ephesus. 
And uh, Paul is worried, and I'm worried about the church today as well. Uh, I'm worried about the false doctrines and the, and the false theologies that are being taught, that are being disguised as teachings or doctrines that have always been, but they're just been made up in the past few hundred years or so. And let me tell you something, guys, there's nothing new under the sun. If it was a false doctrine before, uh, it's probably going to come up again because that's how the devil works. He works the same way every time. He wants to deceive. He wants to make God lesser. He wants to make you feel like you're more. But let me tell you something is that God is everything. You're nothing. Is that God is everything. And we need to put our trust in him because when we are in Christ, as Paul is delivering in uh, this book, uh, this epistle, is that when you're in Christ, you are complete. And that's my uh, title today is that you are complete in Christ. Last year when I was here, I said, uh, uh, I think it was uh, Jesus is better. I was going to do Jesus is enough to kind of continue on the theme, but I didn't do that. <laughs> but uh, my title today is you are complete in Christ. And the main reason why I want to talk about this tonight is because there are so many people who are searching in this world. They're searching for something. They're searching to find their fulfillment. They're searching to find just something to make themselves feel better. There, We see a lot of witchcraft is a big deal these days of people buying crystals and praying to the crystals and wanting these good vibes and these good energies because they put off some kind of energy that's, that's false. And it's because the church hasn't stood up and showed them that, guess what guys, you can't fill yourself with anything and you become something. It's only in Christ. It's only in Christ that you are complete. And I can't, I can't say that enough, to, especially to the young people in here who go to school with these people who uh, they, they like to force their agendas and their ideologies on you. I tell my youth all the time when I'm teaching them, guys, it, it, this world is evil. We've been studying the gospel of John. And what does Jesus say to, uh, to, the, to his disciples? He said, the world hates you because it hated me. And a servant is not greater than his master. So he's going to hate you. Is that young people, you need to understand that uh, you need to stand up to the faith regardless if you're hated for it or not. I was just praying on the way up here. Uh, I, I love to listen to, uh, to David Wilkerson. And, uh, and, he was, and he said how he would always say a prayer when he was younger. He would say, God, uh, he would say, Lord, help me to preach anything you want me to. If it's grace, awesome. If it's, correct, if it's correction, even better. But we need to be saying a prayer in our lives saying, God, help me to stand up for the gospel. Help me to be unashamed of the gospel regardless of what happens. Regardless if I sound like a jerk. Regardless if I preach that, hey, there is a hell. And guess what? That there is a punishment for your sins because you are trespassed. We'll say that you are dead in your trespasses to God. The shame isn't that, that there's a punishment for humankind. The shame is that the master had to come down to heaven and die on the cross. That's the shame. That's the shame. Let's start in this verse uh, 6 uh, through 7 here. This is, uh, we're just going to go verse by verse here. Uh, 6 through 7, I'll read it again. Well, well, first, what was leading us here, I read uh, verse 1, is that Paul, is, uh, Paul has been basically uh, giving his thanksgiving, his prayer, and he's preaching the preeminence of Christ. He's saying that Christ is above all else. He's preaching because Paul hasn't, hasn't been with these people. So what, what's the most important thing in the Christian faith is that Christ is preeminence, is that he's everything, right? Even in the book of Jude, that Jude talks is really preaching uh, a defense of the faith. But in the beginning, he says, at first, I was going to preach to you Christ and him crucified. But 
because of what's going on in, in your church, I'm having to preach to you apologetics. Uh, because the, we shouldn't be going around always uh, doing apologetics, always fighting people in the faith. We should always come first with Christ and him crucified. Is that the love of Christ? That comes first over all things. So that's what we're seeing here. And the Paul, in, in the first bit of uh, chapter, well, the last bit of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two, he's talking about, he says, uh, basically his afflictions that he has faced while sharing the gospel. Uh, because I, and I love that Paul always kind of points to this. Some people may say, some people don't like Paul for some reason, some Christians. Um, well, if you don't like Paul, you don't like the Bible. So that's your problem, not mine. But Paul is saying here, he's saying, uh, I love it because he's like, I'm, I've been imprisoned for Christ. I've been beaten for Christ. Paul's the same guy that was kicked out of a city stone and they thought he was dead. And guess what? He, why he wiped off his, uh, off his, his cloak, everything he had on. He, he shrugged it off. He went right back into the city and started preaching the gospel again because the gospel is offensive. That's what it is. I, lo I love listening to, uh, to uh, Pastor John MacArthur because he said, he said, my job every single Sunday is to offend somebody because the gospel is offensive. And that's true. And I'm not saying you, you should go out and try to make people hate you and stone you. That's not what I'm saying. But the truth is you should expect backlash because the gospel is true and the truth divides. Amen. But Paul is speaking of his, uh, of his struggle and he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all I have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged. He knows he hasn't seen these people, but even though he says, I may not be with you in body, but I'm with you in spirit because brothers and sisters in Christ, all of us, even if we don't gather in here today, we're still united on the blood of, under the blood of Christ and we are family. And I'm thankful for that. All right. Verses six through seven. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. This is a wonderful rule, a wonderful rule for Christian living. We cannot perfect in the flesh that which was begun in the spirit. Therefore, just as you receive Jesus, walk in him in the same way. The simple things of the Christian life provide continually, continual and reliable spiritual fuel for growth. We always have to be reminded of the things that which we have been taught, the fundamentals, people, the fundamentals. It, when it comes to basic things like sports, if you play basketball, if you forget how to dribble, you're not worth much on the team now, are you? And if you forget the basic things of the Christian faith, which is uh, loving the Lord your God and loving others, the two greatest commandments that Jesus gives us, then you're not worth much on the team. Amen. The simplicity is that we walk in Christ through the Holy Ghost. It is by the spirit that we are born again, regenerated, and it is by the spirit that we continue to walk the narrow way. It is all through Christ that we find ourselves complete. Why would you try to walk in the flesh, walk according to the law, walk according to I have to do X, Y, Z or Jesus won't love me if the way your walk began was through faith in Christ? And that's how we continue to walk in Christ and walk the narrow way is through our faith in Christ and relying on the Holy Spirit to guide us to prune us, to bear fruit in us. Galatians 3, 1 through 3 says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing the faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Being a Christian is not being on your best behavior because you can only do that for so long. It is only a life that has been 
truly born again. Not this just saying, not, not just this, this, uh, Christian, this American gospel that we have where people come down and they say, well, I said the prayer, I'm born again, but there's no fruit of that. There's no fruit. And Paul said, what he's saying there in that collection is three saying, uh, uh, how, how stupid can you be? How dare you believe the lie that you have to do X, Y, and Z. You have to live according to the Jewish law. You have to be circumcised. You have to, you have to observe certain holidays to be saved when you were saved through faith. Because guess what? You can't earn it, guys. You can't earn it. If someone told you you have to earn salvation, you have to be good enough, they lied to you. That's a false gospel. It is only through your faith and repentance that Christ redeems you. Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is being biblically and spiritually minded. There are too many Christians who are so who are too rational for their own good. They think that, that worldly wisdom is good enough. It's not. It's not because the foolishness of the cross will, can, will confound the wise because just the cross itself doesn't make sense to people. Well, people are like, oh, isn't there another way? Isn't there another way? There's only one way. It's Jesus. And the prince of heaven came down and died for you. That's the truth. And that's the, that's the foolishness, if you, would, if you will, that the world says is stupid and ridiculous. But we must walk according to the spirit and walk with the spirit. Keep in step with the spirit. It is of utmost importance to continually walk in Christ, abide in him, that wherever you go or whatever you do, it is all done in Christ. As the Father has loved me, this is John 15, 9 through 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. Walking in Christ is about abiding in his love. Our Christian walk all starts with coming to Christ in repentance and faith and learning the love that God has for us. It all starts with love and we never outgrow this love. It is the love that we abide in throughout our pilgrimage and the love that carries us into the presence of God. It is all, and this is not some kind of weak sauce love. This is not some kind of weak love that is just lets you do whatever you want. This is the kind of love that will, that will spank you like a parent would spank a, a toddler. It's the kind of love that will correct you and convict you and prune you when, you, when you're starting to bear fruit so you can bear more fruit. That's the kind of love that, that we have with our Father, with our Heavenly Father. That when you start to walk off the narrow way, because the, guess what? The broad way looks a little more comfortable. Because the thing about the narrow way is because it starts off narrow and it just gets narrower. It gets more narrow and more narrow. More has to fall off. You got to let more people go. You got to let, uh, let more things go. You got to let go of addictions. You got to let go of people that you thought loved you, but they don't. They're just using you. And the thing about that is it gets worse and it gets harder. But it's only by walking according to the spirit and the love of God that we can do it efficiently. Because if we try to keep one foot in and one foot out, you will be punished for that. Amen. You will. Paul uses a combination of metaphors here to describe how a Christian lives. As Christians, we walk, but we are also rooted and we are also built up. The metaphors are somewhat mixed, but the message is clear here. Be established and keep growing. While we walk in Christ, we are being rooted in the rich soil that is the gospel. And our roots dig deep and wide so that we are built up in Christ. And we are established, grounded, consecrated. Christians who point others to Christ. 
It is the Christian who is planted in Christ who bears fruit. Like Psalms 1-3 says, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their, their, uh, their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Guess what, guys? The Christian walk is not easy. It's not this prosperity gospel that we hear from people like Joel Osteen. It's not this thing that you're never going to be sick. Guess what? Because you will be sick. You will, sometimes you're going to struggle paying your bills, but the, here's the thing is that in every season you're bearing fruit. And I'm not talking about this money fruit. I'm talking about spiritual fruit. I would rather be poor and sick 24 seven. If that meant that I kept close to Christ rather than being rich and being so far away from him because the money in this world is just going to, it's just going to burn up. I love that song we, we, we just we just sang, I've got nothing else that's fit for a king. But let, let me tell you something, is that God would rather have your broken hallelujah and your broken heart rather than a million dollars donated to the local church. Amen. That's the truth. Paul did not plant the church in uh, Colossae, but along with, uh, along with his letter, he knows that they were taught the truth about God. But he also knew about the heresies and the false teachers and false prophets that they would encounter with the Colossians when the, as the Colossians were seeking the Lord. Paul urges them to walk in the Lord just as they have been taught while being in constant overabundance of thanksgiving. We must also do this because a heart that's full of gratitude, full of thankfulness, uh, it's, it's a lot harder to, to be um, upset and be down and depressed when you're giving all, all thanks to God. Because whatever good thing you do have is because it's God. Amen. Every single good thing is because it's God. And guess what? Some of the bad things that, that you, is sometimes God allows that too. Because what the enemy means for evil, he means for your good. He turns it around for your good. That's the truth of it. A lot of people say like, well, if it's bad, it's Satan. If it's good, it's God. Well, that's not true. That's not what happened to Joseph. What happened to Joseph in Genesis is that God allowed these things to happen in his life. He was allowed to be sold into slavery. He was allowed to, 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 to be sold to this, to this rich man. He was allowed to be falsely accused by, the, by Potiphar's wife. He was allowed to be in prison for years. Guys, this wasn't a few months. This was years he was in prison. Also that he could be the right hand man of the Pharaoh so that, uh, so that God's people could grow in abundance. Is that even the bad things, guys, we've got to say, thank, thank you, God. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what the outcome's going to be. But thank you, God, that I'm in your hands. If we forget the simplicities of following Christ and being grounded in Christ, we will be deceived by this world. Just as the Colossians had to watch out for people who teach wrong doctrine and heresy, we do as well. We need to be, uh, not the whole Christian walk isn't just about theologies and doctrines and things like that, but good doctrine and good theology, understanding your Bible and understanding the God you serve will save your life. Because the same people who seem like they're so passionate and they're so full of love and they're so kind, they're wolves in sheep's clothing because they themselves are deceived. It's not that they, some people, some, some wolves may actually clothe themselves in uh, sheep's clothing so that they may seem like you, but some don't even understand that they're a wolf on the inside and they're deceiving people. We need to keep praying for these people. 
Because a lot of these people who preach false gospels and, and just, just don't preach the right, they call themselves Christians, but they don't live a Christian life and they preach the wrong things and they lead people astray. They don't understand that they actually are leading people astray. That even these people who may break our hearts, we need to continue to seek after the Lord for them and pray for them that the Holy Spirit would break their heart and they would come back to the true Christ, to the true gospel. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The false teaching among the Colossians was marked by an emphasis on philosophy and empty deceit. Most of all, it was according to the tradition of men. It had the stamp of man on it and not God. If you give authority to human philosophy and worldly wisdom in hopes that it will complete you, it will only cheat you and leave you broken. Like I was just saying earlier that we live in a world that is full of people who are who is seeking and searching for something. And a lot of times we fall into, uh, a lot of people, they fall into uh, rationale, right? this human rationale, this, this, this seeking of wisdom, right? Philosophy wasn't always this weird nuanced thing of, of people like just sitting around the dinner table and solving the world's problems without actually lifting a finger. It started off with people who had a love for wisdom. They wanted to be wise. But what's the problem when we seek wisdom in our own lives and our own selves, we become self-absorbed idiots. That's what happens. We become selfish people. We become people who don't truly have a love for God, but only a love for ourselves. What do we see in the book of Judges? That they started doing, we started, they started uh, doing the things that was right in their own eyes, that was good in their own eyes. That's the world we live in, guys. Is that people will people will die on the hill of abortion, saying that people should be able to, to people should be able to abort their babies simply because they feel like it, because it feels good to them, right? People will people will ditch the true gospel to a fake gospel just because it feels good to them. We've got to put our feelings in the dust, guys. I don't care how you feel. What does the Bible say? We need to get back into that. We need preachers who say, I'm, I care about your heart. I care about you, but I don't care about your human feelings because this is the truth. Because we have, we have churches that have, uh, that have homosexual people and transgender pastors who wear these sashes of rainbows because it feels good to them. Because I feel like I'm this. I feel like I'm that. I don't care how you feel. It's that the truth is that is wrong. We need to be able to stand up for what's wrong and what's right. The world is full of people who are searching for the what uh, for what the world has to offer, but it's only Christ who can who can complete you. Those kind of people, guys, us true Christians, real Christians who are devoted to God, who know that we have we have nothing to offer, but God is still so good, and we devote our lives to Him. Is that we need to point people to Christ? Is that there's a lot of there's a lot of preachers in the here out in the world who who talk bad about these people and it's true we need to say hey this is sin but it needs to stop there and then we need to say hey this is sin but you need to repent and you need to come back to Christ because guess what you're never too far I don't care if you've transitioned completely I don't care if you have top surgery bottom surgery whatever you can still come back to Christ because guess what at the end of the age we're getting new bodies anyway so it doesn't matter we need to continue to seek after Christ this philosophy that threatened the Colossian Christians was a strange eclectic mix of early Gnosticism, Greek philosophy, local mystery religions, and Jewish mysticism. 
The philosophy threatening the Colossian Christians was so dangerous because it was not obviously sinful. It was high sounding and seemed intelli- highly intelligent. Uh, my wife and I have been, been reading a book and uh, I, I love one of the quotes that says that, um, it says that discernment isn't uh, the difference between telling right and wrong. Discernment is being, have the ability to, to determine what's right and what's almost right. Is because the truth is, is that false teachers, they say a lot of right stuff, but then it's mixed in with a lot of wrong stuff. And so it's like, well, they said that was right. So this other thing must be right too. Wrong. We need to be seeking the Holy Spirit for discernment. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of people even in uh, high authority in the Christian church today in this in this day and age, which whether it's a church, it's a uh, the parachurch or no organization, uh, but they have terrible discernment, and they just let anybody and everybody come preach. They let anybody and everybody come and speak into their lives and speak over the students at the colleges if they're over it. Uh, we need more discernment. Instead of looking in the book of Revelation and then looking in, the, in today's news and trying to line it up and trying to understand what's the end times, what's the mark of the beast? Oh, I bet it's this. I bet it's a tattoo. I bet it's this. I bet it's a chip. Who cares? Because God wins in the end. Who cares? Is that we need to have true discernment and so that we can protect our children, so we can protect our families, so we can protect our brothers and sisters in Christ, and so that we can continuously serve God without falling by the wayside because we lack discernment and we believe someone foolish. Philosophy, philosophy originally had a good meaning. It simply meant the love of wisdom, but Paul used it to mean vain speculation. It is no longer the love it is no longer the love in search of wisdom, but it is now the love of the love of selfish intelligence, intellectual nonsense. People who gather around this, uh, who gather around and solve the world's problems and the church's problems, but never lift a finger. The kind of self-love that promotes itself higher than it ought to be. There are uh, even people who would call themselves biblical scholars who write current quote-unquote translations that uh, people read and they're like, oh, it's great, it's awesome. I'm not going to name names because you read what you're going to do. You do your own research. But uh, there are people who rewrite the Bible to make yourself seem like the hero. Guess what? You're not the hero. Jesus is. When you're reading the Bible and you read that David is slaying Goliath, that's not you slaying your sin. That's Christ slaying the Satan in your sin. And you're the little Jewish boy hiding behind the brick wall peeing your pants. That's what it is, is that you're not the main character. Christ is. And every single story from Genesis to Revelation, you're not the main character. And if you read the Bible and make yourself the main character, you're reading it wrong. I'm not saying that there's not things that you put yourself in place like, oh, I've been there, right? Because a lot of the Old Testament, you're like, I've been there. I've been like David. I've been broken. I've done wrong. And I've been called out for it. And I've been been broken for my sin. That's true. That's true. You can put yourself in that picture, but you're not the main character. You're not the main character of this world either. It's still Christ. I don't care if it's the Bible or the world. You're still not the main character. This kind of philosophy in a Christian's life leads a Christian into eisegesis studies that cherry picks the Bible and makes the Bible say whatever they want it to say. And that's the most dangerous thing a Christian can do because I'll hear this a lot. Oh, I've heard this a lot and it drives me crazy. Well, my interpretation of the Bible, well, I will have the way I see it, the way I think it says, what? Uh, there's a lot of, there's some open-ended stuff in the Bible that people can be, debate about. Sure, that's, that's true, right? That's true. 
But there's a lot of things like the gospel that you can't have your own interpretation of. There's only one interpretation. And is that Jesus is God. He came in the form of a baby through a virgin birth. He lived 33 pure and perfect years, fulfilled 200 plus prophecies that that's like a 0.0000000002% chance that could ever happen. And he died for you. He, and not only did he die, but then he rose again for you. And he took the keys from Satan, from death and Hades. And he is the victor. And as we'll get into later in the, in the uh, verse 15, is that he made them look foolish. He made the enemy look foolish for you. He made them look real foolish. There's a significant uh, debate among commentators as to the exact nature of the Colossian heresy. Uh, some see it as predominantly an expression of early Gnosticism, uh, which some Jew, with some Jewish mystical elements added. Others see it as primarily Jewish mysticism with a few aspects of early Gnosticism. Whatever the exact origin or uh, composition of this heresy, it seems to clear it has both elements. It's, it's a lot of weird mixture going on here. Uh, the connection to early Gnosticism is, is clear from the way Paul brings forth his points. Gnosticism taught that God, as a perfect spirit, could not come into direct contact with the material world. Paul took care of this point. We have to point out that Jesus is God, and He came into the uh, He came in a body of His flesh, and this is Colossians one uh, Colossians one nineteen verse twenty two. It says, "For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased and was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself." Did you, did you get that? He said, "And through Him, through Christ, He reconciles Himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood." of his cross and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him Gnosticism taught that since God could not uh, have direct contact with the material world that God himself did not create the world and he worked through lesser spirit and angels so what are we seeing here? Gnosticism, it's not good. It's heresy, it's wrong. It's, it's, it's not according to the Bible. It's a bunch of made up uh, philosophical nonsense. The connection to Jewish mysticism is clear from the way Paul brings forth a few points. He says, uh, Jewish influence on Christianity emphasized dietary laws. Paul took care, took care of saying this, that Christians were not under Jewish dietary laws. It's Colossians 2.16. Uh, Jewish influence on Christianity uh, emphasized the observance of particular days as an obligation, right? So this is like Passover. This is just you. This is just the Jewish people saying, hey, you may be a Christian. Yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of God. But you still have to do everything. You still have to live by the law. There's no change. There's no change, which doesn't make any sense uh, because Christ came and fulfilled all, fulfilled all of that. This would be the group of people uh, Paul would call Judaizers and mutilators of the flesh because of how they would pressure Gentile Christians to be circumcised and obey the law. The Colossian heresy uh, promoted itself as traditional. It, it could trace some of many of its ideas back to traditions among the Jews or the Greek philosophers of, or both. Paul, ha, uh, Paul here warned the tradition of men has no equal authority to the word of God. 
there's a lot of churches today, and uh, especially a lot of the Catholic Church is based off of just human tradition. And it's and it's it's uh, it's, it's churches uh, like this one too. Uh, it, it's just it's it's a Catholic and non-Catholic. It's the Protestants too. Is that we say, well, we've always done it this way, so that means it has to stay. It's gospel now. Well, that's not true. That's not true, is it? But we but we but we put such a priority on it. That's like, oh, that that lady's wearing pants. She's not wearing a skirt down to her toes. Uh, she must not be a Christian anymore, right? Or this 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 person doesn't go to our church anymore. He goes to this church down the road, and that's a bigger church. Big churches are bad. That's evil. That must mean that they're not saved anymore. I haven't seen this person come to our cookie friend fundraiser in a while. That person must not be a believer anymore. How much nonsense is that? But this is the same thing that we're seeing here uh, that, that Paul is talking about. is that this tradition of man has no equal authority of God. It has no equal authority. False teachers, this how, now listen, this is how you can really key on on false teachers. They will usually say one of two things. They would either say, I have a new revelation of God that no one else has ever gotten. Follow me. Saying, this is new. If you ever hear someone say, this is new, run. <laughs> if you hear someone say, this is straight from God. This is you. Nobody has ever heard about this. Either they're really arrogant, and this is something that, this is, yeah, this is, everybody knows this. This is in the Bible. Or uh, they're listening to demons, and they call it the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the, that, and that's scary. You need to run from these kind of people. Or they will say, this is the true way to follow God. This is the way it has always been. But people have just messed it up over the years. So this is what the original Christians actually did. This is actually what the Orthodox Church actually did. It's just been muddled. It's been changed over the years. I, I, I heard uh, um, a biblical scholar who helped write some translations like the NLT and the NIV and stuff. He said, our job is not only as scholars, because he's a scholar, he said, not only as scholars, but as Christians, is to, is, to, uh, is to be faithful to the old ways and not try to make a new one. It's, it's, it's our job to be faithful to Christ who paved the narrow way rather than try to make a new way. Because guess what? Any other way than the narrow way is the broad way. Because there's a million roads leading to the Broadway. There's a million roads connected to it. It puts the, it puts the highways of California to shame. It's, it's as big as the world, but the narrow way is not big at all. And it's, it, it, but guess what? It's not hard to find. If you would just call out to Christ, you find it, and he'll show you. We must stay close to the fundamentals of the faith so we are not led astray by these things. The Bible must be enough for us. And I put here sola scriptura. We have, the Bible has to be enough. The very uh, revelation of God that we have here in the Bible must be enough. Because a lot of us, guys, we, we spend so much time going from church to church, from revival to revival, spirit chasing, that we forget that the Holy Spirit already lives in us. Is that we want to find some kind of new, it's just mysticism, guys. When you try to seek out these things, you try to, you try to, you try to have like, God, okay, I'll do this. Just show me this. If you do this, if, if the time hits to this time and somebody says this phrase at this time, I'll believe you. I'll do it. I'll be, I'll be just, I'll be ready for you. Just put me in coach. I'm, I'm just ready to be in there. Just do this for me. This one thing. It's mysticism, guys. We've got to have, the Bible has got to be enough for us because it's the very spoken word of God. It's the most beautiful thing you could have. If you want to hear God, guys, because I believe the Holy Spirit does speak to us. But if you want to hear God, read your Bible. It's his word. Please read it. There's too many Christians out there who are biblically illiterate. They're stupid. 
They're stupid when it comes to the Bible. I've talked to people that they don't realize what's the difference between John the Baptist and John the Beloved, John the Disciple. They don't know the difference. I'm like, guys, how would John the Baptist write the book of John if he's being, head, being beheaded in the middle of Gospel of John? Doesn't make sense. But people are biblically illiterate, so they fall for anything. If you don't stand for anything, I know this is saying that very famous, if you don't stand for anything, you will fall for anything. If you don't stand on the word of God, which is the rock, because what does Jesus say? He says, the man who devotes his life to the words that I say is a man who builds his house on the rock. But the one who builds his life on, let's say, foolish philosophy, on human deceit, on human tradition, is sinking sand. And guys, whenever that storm of life comes, you're going to be taken, you're going to be taken for a ride. If you just believe everything your pastor says, you don't read your Bible. If you believe everything Tim Hodge says, you're in the wrong. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> but for, there's so many people, so many Christians who were like, well, I heard this, this TV preacher say, if I don't give $10 right now, then my faith is wrong. Guys, we've, 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 got to, we've got to seek after God. We've got to seek after God in the scriptures. We've got to seek after God on our knees in our prayer, in our prayer closet, but also in the, in the word. In the word, we've got to seek after God. The ancient, uh, the ancient Greek word translated uh, for elemental spirits or basic principles that we see here in uh, verse 8 is, is uh, stokia. It is a word that can mean several different things based on its context. Here, Paul is using a way to describe the basic principles of, of the world, or the basic principles of life. Common to both Jews and pagans was the basic idea of cause and effect, right? You reap what you sow. And in a sense, it rules uh, the nature and minds of men. We live under the idea that we get what we deserve. When we are good, we deserve to receive good. When we are bad, we deserve to receive bad. Paul warned the Colossians to not subject, subject, them, subject themselves to this grace-eliminating kind of thinking and to consider themselves dead to it. Because, guys, if we lived according to that, hey, if I do good, hey, karma, right? If I do good, good's going to come back to me, right? Please guess, guess what? There's been times where I've been a real good person, and I got done real dirty, too. And guess what, guys? There's been many, many times where I've done God so wrong. I've been like the Jews who committed adultery against the Lord. But guess what? His grace was still sufficient. If we live our lives according to this, if we live our lives to God the way we, the way we live with people and thinking God is just like some big person in the sky and that he's going to, hey, if I do bad, he's going to beat the fool out of me. He's going to hurt me. Then you're living it wrong. You have a wrong idea of God. You have bad theology. And this is where bad theology goes into play because then you start believing that God wants nothing to do with me. And then after a while, you're not even a Christian anymore because you're like, how can I, either two things, how can I believe in a God if X happens, if 9-11 happens, right? If, some, if my dad died unexpectedly, how can, I believe in the, how can I believe in a God like that? Or it's, how can I serve God if I'm so dirty? But, it, but if we understand the grace of God, that we'll get into this in just a moment, is that, is that, God, is that God took your sins and pinned it on the cross with his son. Is that he loves you so dearly that even if you do mess up a million times, he's going to forgive you a million and one times because his grace and his love is sufficient. 
The main thing that false teachers and cults always get wrong is their ideology or doctrine of grace. It's something you need to watch out for. It's either they, either they say that there's just everybody's going to heaven. Everybody, everybody going. You ain't got to believe in nothing. The narrow way, broad way, any kind of way, any kind of highway, 91, I don't know, somewhere. You're going to heaven regardless. That's what they're saying, right? And that's wrong. But there's also people say, if, if, psh, hey, when you come to Christ, he only gives you a blank slate. You got to be perfect after that. You got to fulfill of all 363 Jewish laws. You got to be perfect. Guess what? That's wrong too. Is that God's grace is more sufficient than, than we could ever understand. It's true. But there's still a price to pay for sin. But if you trust in Christ, because guess what? He paid it for you. If you trust in Christ and you serve Christ and you, and you say, God, I don't have much, but I have this. I have a heart devoted. That's it. That's enough. That's enough for God. Many ancient religions and spiritual philosophers did not understand the world they lived in, so they made an emphasis to try and understand astrology. To fill a need of having special understanding of the times, they believed they needed a deeper, more special understanding, deeper than what they believed Jesus could give them. It's only Jesus that completes you guys. It's the only thing. You can't have some kind of special discernment that, that you heard that an angel told you. You can't read the stars in a certain way to understand when God is going to come back. Because guess what? Nobody knows the time nor the hour. I'm pretty sure there was like uh, 1988. 88 reasons why God's going to come back in 1988. And then 1989. There's 89 reasons why God's going to come back in 1989. You don't know. And you never will. So stop trying to figure out and just live like God could come back right now. How about that? How about we live a life so devoted to Christ that even if he came back in five hours or right now or next year, that guess what? He's going to find, he's going to find us doing the same thing, plowing, yes. reaping the harvest that he, had, that he has prepared for us. Yes. How about we do that instead? All the knowledge of the world can never satisfy you. It is only Christ who completes you and satisfies you for good. Amen. Fully, fully satisfied. If you're in here today and you feel like, uh, I'm just kind of going through this world, nothing much. I don't, I go to church, whatever, or I'm here because my wife or my husband took me or my mom or my dad, whatever the case is, whatever it is, there is nothing in this world that could satisfy you. Nothing. It is only Christ who can fully quench that thirst because he is the everlasting waters. He is the one that quenches your soul forever. He is the bread of life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You're starting to see see a little trend here. He says, I am the life a lot. He is the life. He is everything. But you have to decide. You have to say, God, I'm I'm done running. I'm done. I'm done trying to act. I'm done being two-faced. I'm done limping in both camps. One day I'm for the world. One One day I'm for you. You have to continuously seek after him and put your faith in him, and he will sustain you. Verses 9 through 10. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The very nature of God is fully present in Christ. Even, in, even when God came and he was in this human body. His name is Jesus. Is that the fullness of the deity was in him, the fullness of God's omnipotence, his authority, his miracle working power, his love, his mercy, his justice, all are present and embodied in Christ because he is truly God. 
Paul is uh, Paul. This is now. Uh, this is uh, a quote from uh, Richard Trench, which is uh, he's a theologian from the 1800s. He said, "Paul is declaring that uh, that in the Son there dwells all the fullness of absolute Godhead. There were no there were no mere rays of divine glory which gilded him, lighting up his person for a season, and with splendor not his own, but he was and is absolute and perfect God." And the apostle uses Theotis to express this essential and personal Godhead of the Son. The false teaching among the Colossian Christians were something like an early form of the Gnostic heresies that would later come. These Gnostic heresies made radical separation between the spiritual and the material. That is why Paul needed to make it clear that all the fullness of the Godhead dwells within Christ bodily. Not in some strange mystical sense, not some kind of way that God was using lesser beings to, to fulfill uh, the redemption. But John as well uh, spoke of this in 1 John 4, 1 through 3. He says, Beloved, do not believe every, every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. We find our total completion in Christ, in Christ alone, because the whole Godhead indwelled in him bodily. This can only be true because Jesus is truly God. If he were not God, he couldn't complete us in any kind of way. Just like not any person can complete you in any kind of way. No man can complete you in any kind of way. No woman, no anybody can complete you in any kind of way. No acts of service, no volunteering can make you fulfilled in any kind of way. No acts of anything, but it's only Christ. Anything that says we are not complete in him also takes away from the deity of Christ. If, if all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, and as believers we are united to him in a faith relationship, then we are also complete in him. Therefore, there was no need to go to the false promises and attractions presented by the false teachers among the Colossians. The, a, lot, a big thing of uh, false teachers is that there's also false prophets. And they're going to say, hey, this is going to come of this. This is going to come of that. But if we're chasing these spirits, if we're chasing just words of affirmation and words to, to keep this going because we're not in the word, then we're going to fall astray like the Colossians were uh, pretty close to doing because you have these false prophets that are saying, uh, hey, guess what? Uh, you're going to be a millionaire and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. But that's not true. It's false. But if we're straying away further and further from Christ, if we're not in our word, we're just going to be uh, like, uh, like the book of James says, like, like the waves tossed to and fro. There's a need for Christ. Paul says that we are complete in him. And that is a fact to be enjoyed, not a status to be achieved. That Christ completes you fully and that's not something that you should be scared of because you have to strive for it. It is something to be rejoiced and to be thankful for. Because it's already been given to you. It's free. Guess what? Because grace is a gift. Because if it, it, if it could be earned, 
it would be boasted about. That's why. Because Ephesians 2 said grace is a gift so that no man can, build, can, no man can boast in it. Because I, I can promise you. I can promise you if it was something that you could earn, uh, somebody would be like, oh, I'm a better Christian than you. Well, I'm a better, I'm a super Christian. I'm this. But Paul wrote about, about that, didn't he? He said, there are no super apostles, right? There are no Christians who are higher than another. Uh, whether you've been saved for one day or a million years, uh, you're both equal in Christ. In many New Testament passages, principality and power describes ranks of angelic beings, either faithful or fallen angelic beings. We see that in Romans 8.38, Ephesians 1.21, Ephesians 3.10, and Ephesians 6.12. Therefore, Paul here declares Jesus' authority over all spiritual beings. The false teaching among the uh, Colossian Christians emphasized these lesser spirit beings. But Paul makes it clear that Jesus is far above everything else, far above all principalities, whether good or bad, whether it's the archangel Michael or it's Satan himself. He's higher. He's better. He's larger. He's got more authority. He's got more power. He is greater. Christ is ruler of all things, overall physical and spiritual. Satan himself has to submit himself to Christ. And Christ is the very one who completes us and fulfills and fills us with the Holy Spirit. Even, even, this, even the biggest, baddest enemy of all creation, which is Satan, has to bow down to Christ. Even him. Even him. Why, do we, why are we so scared? Why, why, why are we so scared to, to, to cast demons out of people? Why are we so scared to speak Jesus over people? For that is the name that is higher, that is greater over everything else. Verses 11 through 12. We're almost done here. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Most of the Colossian Christians were Gentiles who had never been physically circumcised. Paul assures them that they were indeed circumcised in a spiritual sense, which is even more important than physical circumcision. God is way more interested and way more concerned about your spiritual well-being than your physical. And God does heal his people. But we see that. We see a lot of miracles in the Bible uh, with Jesus. He said every time in John when he starts to do a miracle, he says it is done so that they may believe. A lot of people lose their faith over loved ones who are not healed, and I feel for them. I, feel, I definitely feel for people who, who pray for loved ones and they end up passing tragically. That's very sad. And, and, and the most important thing is that God cares about them. He is in them and the, they're hurt. As we see the shortest uh, verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. And I love the context of that because Jesus wept over Lazarus, who he knew he was going to raise from the dead. And yet he still wept for them because he still cared, even though he knew what the end result was going to be. But God is much more concerned over somebody's spiritual health than their physical. And that's something that's hard. There's a lot of hard pills to swallow in the Bible, and this is one of them, is that he is much more concerned about you serving him and loving him and being strong in him rather than you being strong in your own body. So if you're sick or if you deal with physical ailments that you seem you can't seem to get past, don't be upset. Don't be upset about that. Think about the Lord. Because in him, in in our suffering, 
we identify with Christ. Because Christ is the suffering, suffering son of God. It is through Christ that we are healed. Because guess what? Not everybody's going to be healed on this earth. But once we get to heaven, we are. We have a new body. The Colossian Christians had to deal with a whole variety of false teaching. Not only did they have wrong ideas about Jesus, but they also had wrong ideas about things like a circumcision. Apparently, they were being taught that they had to be circumcised to be right with God. Paul makes it clear that they were circumcised by putting off the sins of the flesh. Philippians 3, 2 says, these are the same, oh, these are the same kind of people uh, who would call evil, do, how Paul would call evildoers, dogs, and mutilators of the flesh in Philippians 3, 2. The circumcision of the spirit is when we accept Christ and we crucify our flesh in obedience to him. This is the true circumcision that is far beyond the tradition of circumcision that was started with the Abrahamic covenant. Our spiritual circumcision uh, is, is meant to be the putting off of the old man. The Greek word for putting off is a double compound, denotes both stripping off and casting away. The imagery of that is discarding a piece of filthy clothing. See, the thing is that we're, we don't just get saved and we just take off the old man and we just put it down. But we put it down, we throw it away. It's done for, it's gone. That's not us anymore. We're dead to it. Dead to, we, like, we, like at one point we were dead in our trespasses. We are now dead to our sin. Paul says that these Gentiles find their true circumcision in their baptism and devotion to Christ. Christians don't need to be circumcised, but they should most definitely be baptized. Not saying that baptism is a way of salvation, uh, like some people would believe. But baptism is simply the uh, outward acknowledgement of, hey, I'm following God and no one else can stop me. Is that I'm dead to my sin, just like Jesus was dead on the cross, and I was resurrected from, the, uh, from coming out of baptism as Jesus was resurrected out of the grave. Even the Old Testament acknowledges that there are two types of circumcision, one of the body that signifies the covenant, and one of the heart that signifies devotion. Sincere baptism shows that the real circumcision of the heart has taken place. We identify with Christ's death and resurrection in our baptism, and we identify with him in our suffering for his namesake. Paul ends verse 12 by saying, In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. This demonstrates that Paul understood that the power of regeneration was not baptism or received by the act of baptism, but received through faith in the powerful working of God. It is all through God. It is through Christ. We are complete. And it is not in anything we can do. You can't add anything to your salvation. The only thing you add to your salvation is your sin. That's the only thing. You cannot add to it. You cannot, get, you cannot uh, earn this thing. It is through grace alone. Verses 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Verse 13a uh, says, it says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, this is the place of every person before they are raised with him through faith and the working of God. As Paul described in uh, Colossians 2.12, before we have new life, we are dead. 
The Bible has many descriptions of men and women set apart from Christ, and this is one of the strongest. A sick person may need a doctor, but a dead person needs a savior. You are dead to your sin. Uh, we have downplayed the potency of sin so much. We have made it seem just like, oh, I messed up. Sorry, sorry. But if sin is enough to go to hell, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And we need to hate our sin uh, and love Christ. Because guess what? Uh, if you're drowning out in sea and you're just struggling, someone can throw a little a lifeguard float and you can grab it and you'll be okay. But a dead person can't even raise a finger. Right. Is that it is Christ completely that saves you. You aren't 50% good and you need a little sprinkle of Jesus to become 100%. You're 0% good and you need 100% of Christ in your life. Amen. That's what you need. We need to understand the gospel a little more deeply here. We are not only made alive, but made alive together with him. It is true that he gave us life. For, uh, if it, it is true that this is a quote from C.H. Spurgeon. Uh, it is true that he gave us life from the dead. He, he gave us pardon of sin. He gave us imputed righteousness. These are all precious things. But you see, we are not content with them. We have received Christ himself. The son of God has been poured out onto us and we have received him and appropriated him. Before we knew, before we have new life in Christ, we are dead in our trespasses. A trespass is a specific kind of sin, overstepping a, a boundary. We are dead because we overstep God's boundaries in our sin and rebellion. We can't make ourselves alive, but God can make us alive together with Jesus. We can never be made alive apart from Christ. These legal demands that uh, Paul speaks about has a mind of a list of our crimes, our moral debt before God. A debt that no imperfect person can completely pay. It is only in the perfection of Christ that it can be paid. Jesus not only paid for the writing, the for, paid for the writing of the sin that was against us. He set it aside and then nailed it to the cross. You get that imagery there? It's not like he said, "You're good. I, I paid it. You're good, bro. Don't, don't don't worry about it." It's not that nonchalant. Is that he took your sin? And he nailed it on the cross with him. Because he bore our sin on his body. And he drank the cup of wrath so that we could drink from the cup of grace. That is what he did. He pays the price. And he doesn't just give us a clean slate, but he gives us a new life in grace and mercy. And these legal demands that were once against us for our trespasses against God have no foothold against us anymore. Another aspect of Jesus' work on the cross is that he disarmed principalities and powers. These ranks of hostile angelic beings don't have the same weapons to use against Christians as they have against those who are not in Jesus. The enemy holds no power over Christ, and he puts them to open shame. Open shame. Have you ever been shamed before openly? I have. You ever been, you ever been in a crowded uh, stairwell and you start kind of jogging up and you just fall? That's pretty shameful. I did that in high school a couple of times, and being a football player and being popular is pretty, pretty humbling, uh, pretty humbling experience. But this is a shame uh, that Jesus puts in Satan's face completely. He says, you're done for. You're done. There's no more fear of death. I understand having the, the, um, 
the fear of actual dying, but there should be no fear in the Christian's life of when you die and pass over. There should be no uncertainty of like, ooh, I hope I make it. You know, like, ooh, I hope I was a good enough person. But you should have such a confidence in the work of Christ that you know where you're going because you're trusting in that it's true. The greatest powers of the earth at that time uh, were Rome. The greatest governmental power and, uh, and uh, the greatest religious power, which is Judaism, conspired together to put the Son of God on the cross. These powers, angry at his challenge to their sovereignty, stripped him naked, held him up in public contempt, and celebrated a triumph over him. Here Paul shows us the paradox of the cross, that the victorious Jesus took the spiritual powers animating these earthly powers and stripped them, held them up to contempt, and publicly triumphed over them. While Christ looked like he was defeated on the cross, while it looked like he was being triumphed over with death, he puts them to shame. While it looks like he's defeated on the cross, through that shame he reigns victorious, and all who are complete in him inherit the victory. Inherit the victory. Inherit the promises of God. Against the believer, what weapons do demonic spirits therefore now have? They are disarmed, except for their ability to deceive and to create fear. They are effective weapons. This fear, right? No, uh, the, the, this, the, they'll, the weapons may form, but it won't prosper. This is what this is talking about. Is that this, this fear is the only the fear and 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 being deceived is really the only weapons that the enemy has because he can deceive you and make you feel like uh, God's not there for you. He's not there, but guess what? He's in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. When you come to Christ, His Holy Spirit is inside of you. He's with you at all times. The, the, this fear is an effective weapon, but they are not tangible weapons at all. Demonic spirits, uh, demonic spirits only have power towards us that we grant them by believing their lies. The weapons are in our hands, not theirs. It's not in their hands. They may, they may try to deceive us, but we need to hold fast to God. Hold fast in our faith. Perhaps Satan for a moment, and I'll close with this. Perhaps Satan for a moment thought that he had won at the cross, but hell's imagined victory was turned into a defeat that disarmed every spiritual enemy who fights against those living under the light and power of the cross. The public spectacle of defeated demonic spirits makes their defeat all the more humiliating. Christ has triumphed and he is victorious. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we love you so much. Jesus, we thank you so much that you came and you died and you rose again for us, Lord God. And you put the enemy to shame for your namesake and for ours. Lord God, we are so thankful and we're grateful in this season, but not just in this season, but all the time, Lord. We thank you so much, God. We thank you so much that nothing else can complete us but you do that you complete us when we do not deserve it, Lord. We are just broken vessels, and yet you make us whole. Lord God, I, ask, I just ask that you would uh, touch everyone's heart in here, Lord God. And Holy Spirit, that if there's anybody in here who's been running, Lord, they may look like they're great churchgoers and they're great Christian folk, Lord, but they know that they've been running. 
Lord God, they know that they're not chasing after you and loving you and obedient to you and recognizing that they are sinners and that they need a Savior. They are dead and they need a Savior. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just convict us who need to be convicted. Encourage us who needs to be encouraged. Lord God, that you would just continue to bear fruit in us. And Lord, that in the seasons of pruning, that you would comfort us. In the seasons where you need to lift us up and give us extra attention because we're struggling, Lord, that we'd be extra grateful. Because you don't have to do that. You are almighty God. You don't have to take special notice to little old people like us, Lord God, but you do. Lord, we thank you and we love you. Amen. How many of you are grateful for some solid teaching from the Word of God tonight? And above everything, how many of you are glad tonight? How about that you're complete in Christ? How about you're glad to have spiritual oversight in this house with staff and pastors that will see to it that you're given proper teaching and not that vain philosophy stuff? It's Jesus and nothing else. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're blessed people. I'm going to bless you. Thank you, Jordan. Y'all give Jordan some love tonight. And uh, he and Kate just drove down for this service, drove up for this service. Now they got to go back down uh, because they're going to be having Thanksgiving in Columbia tomorrow with, with are y'all going to Columbia, right? With her parents. So they just swooped in for the night, and uh, what a great, great word, great teaching, great expository teaching, straight through the word. Amen. His word is life, quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Would you stand up? Let me speak a blessing over y'all, and I pray that what I release over you tonight from the word of the Lord, when you gather with your friends and your family tomorrow, I pray the overflow that's on this house will be flowing upon you and that it will overflow from you onto those that are around you. Amen. So if you're around your family, if you're around any prodigals, may the spirit of the Lord. If you're around the weak, may the spirit of the Lord. If you're around the discouraged, may the spirit of the Lord. Bring that prodigal home. Strengthen the weak. Amen. Encourage the discouraged and save the lost. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his shalom, his well-being, his faring well, his prospering, his going forth through you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. I bless y'all tonight. God love you. Take a few moments to speak to somebody on your way out.